smoke and mirrors, special effects, a little fear, a little sex, the lyrics to an old magnetic field song, and a good way to introduce today's episode of Videohead. This week, I talked to Jody Willey, director of the critically acclaimed documentary The Source Family, about a cult of musicians in California in the 1970s, and I talked to Josh Madden, who along with his brothers Benji and Joel built Good Charlotte into one of the biggest bands around, about the role music videos played in the band's image, perception, and success. We're all about Svengali's this week. This is Videohead. The Source Family is a documentary about Father Yod, the leader of a spiritual community of artists, rich kids, and musicians in the 1970s in California. It was directed by Maria Demopoulos and my guest, Jody Willey. Jody also published The Source, the book on Father Yod and the Source Family. She also directed a short film called We Are Not Alone about the Unarius Academy, another California-based cult. But Jody's first paid job was directing a music video for R.E.M., which led her to a career as a prominent video director and band photographer in the 1990s. Jody and I talk about the similarities between bands and cults and the iconography and image creation that goes into creating both. Here's my chat with director and documentarian Jody Willey. Jody Willey, thank you so much for joining me on Videohead. I appreciate you being here. This is a show about music videos, and there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but you do have a very prominent music video credit in your history. Is that correct? You directed a video for Find the River by R.E.M., maybe my favorite R.E.M. song of all time. Oh, nice. Yes, I did. It was the, my first paid job. How do you get that as like a first paid job? Well, that was kind of unusual. Um, I had known the guys in REM since I uh, was in college. Um, I was um, visiting and documenting a lot of self-taught artists down in the South when I was in school in Ohio with a, a boyfriend of mine who had spent a lot of time at Howard Finster's down in Georgia and had gotten to know uh, Michael Stipe a little bit and Jefferson Holt, who'd managed REM. What happened was I, after college, I moved out to Los Angeles and I started working on music videos as an assistant for the music video director, Sam Bayer. And I had just started to um, direct a, a video for a friend's band, the band Wool, Dave Grohl's band before he joined Nirvana, and had just finished it, hadn't yet edited it, and um, got a call from Randy Skinner at Warner Brothers um, asking me if I wanted to direct the video Find the River for R.E.M., and I was, you know, astonished and couldn't believe it, but um, of course said yes. And what I had found out was that River Phoenix was supposed to direct that video. It had become very popular in Europe and R.E.M. needed a a video for it. And he had suddenly passed away just like the week before. And they, they, R.E.M. was looking for like a young director to do it. And my friend Jefferson Holt, um, he later told me he'd put together a list of possible directors and given that list to Michael. And Michael um, obviously had remembered me from my documentation of these outsider artists and just picked me to do the video. And so I, I, I made it. I had to, to make it from concept to online in eight days, which was a lot back then. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you remember what that process was like when you were making it? 
Well, yeah, it was very fast. We, I mean, I, I had to do it crazy fast, you know, because we were shooting film back then, and so you had to process the film and do the telecine. And um, I just uh, cast it really fast. They had some live footage that this director, um, Gavin Newsom, had shot in the studio. So they already had some live, like, natural kind of looking footage uh, of the band performing. And they just wanted me to add some imagery to the music, uh, to the band's performance. And so I put in, um, I had the video star, this self-taught artist named Henry Hill, who Michael Stipe was a really big fan of and who had lived in Los Angeles. And my friend Roger Manley, who is a mutual friend of uh, Michael's and mine, this incredible uh, curator and um, photographer who was a mentor of mine, he turned us on too. So we had um, Henry Hill starring in that that video, and the, and we just shot it out in Malibu at a friend's house of mine who had, that had just burned down in a fire out there. So it's interesting to note the differences between making a music video then and now. To me, first yeah. of all, <laughs> sidebar: I just recently watched my own private Idaho recently, and that River Phoenix's performance in that is like the best performance on screen mm, I think I've ever seen. He's unbelievable. Too. I, I just love, wanted to mention I love that. him in that movie. Just so magnetic oh, on yeah. camera. Incredible. Um, yeah. And actually, Keanu Reeves is very good in it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second thing is, you mentioned somebody at Warner Brothers who says, I have all this money to make a music video. And a band like R.E.M., who are huge, who say, we care about music videos. We want that money to go to a first-time filmmaker. Those are things that don't really happen like that anymore. Oh, yeah. No, R.E.M. was a very uh, unique and special band back then. And and Jefferson actually had a lot to do with their activism and the, uh, you know, where they would have um, nonprofit groups outside their concerts and um, really encourage their fans to get involved in, in work like that. I mean, they were they were all interested in that. But um, but I was very, very lucky. I mean, I really lucked into you know, all of this uh, with, with, you know, Jefferson support and then Michael mm-hmm. believing in me and having me do it. But it was a very different uh, world back then, you know, directing music videos. Um, music videos were more expensive to make because people were shooting film. There weren't as many people who could make music videos. It was a little bit of a rarefied place, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there was a lot of money rolling in mm-hmm. to the music industry at that time. So, you know, after Nirvana got uh, hugely successful, the the music industry signed a ton of bands you know yeah. there was just 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 like this huge deluge of newly signed indie bands and baby bands and so even these bands that were just like barely formed yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like someone's dad was an attorney at Warner Brothers or something and they yeah. they played a couple demos in a garage you know garage somewhere like so many bands got signed that weren't even quite ready um, that there were just a lot of you know videos being made and they um, I mean they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a dinosaur junior video like it was just a way that people used to do things yeah kind of crazy when you step back and look at it once those you start to turn away from music video stuff and you get into publishing and start to do other kinds of Mm. things what were the steps that took you to the next phase of your career after doing like videos as a young person yeah well you know I was always interested in visionary artists self-taught artists uh radical spirituality cults things like that. I, I grew up in like a very loving, but very Christian family, middle-class Midwestern family in a very sheltered kind of environment. And I was always attracted to things that were sort of other, you know? And so I'd, I'd been involved in that before I came out West to direct, you know, music videos in college. My senior thesis was on this like apocalyptic self-taught artist, W.C. Rice, like an experimental documentary. 
And I was probably about like 26, 27, where I just realized that um, I was making this good living, you know, as a music video director and a rock photographer. But I felt like um, a lot of it was spent time with, you know, working with these kinds of bands, even though I worked with some amazing bands, too. And I, f- I started to feel like kind of like an ad man, you know, mm-hmm. for the record industry. Right. And, and it, was, it was bumming me out, well, you know. Well, when, when a band doesn't have a formed identity yet. Yeah. It's being created as it's happening, which is not always the most authentic way to do things. Well, and I could feel that. And yeah. then meanwhile, I was spending, you know, my Sundays and holidays with this apocalyptic church, which was so highly original. And the people there were having these really deep experiences. And they were people, like my friends were kind of freaked out. They thought I was joining a cult. Uh-huh. And uh, even though they had first come for like the ironic, you know, pleasure of it, and then got concerned. But um, but there was like a lot, there was a lot going on there that was making me just sort of reassess my life in the uh-huh. music video industry. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the record industry in that world to me just began seeming less interesting, you know, less compelling. So you have like this interest in rock and roll, and then you also have this interest in kind of culty things. Well, church-based group, what you probably at the time were not calling a cult, but maybe in retrospect you might be able to view it that way. We'll call it alternative spirituality, That's radical ex- radical great. spirituality. Um, but rock and roll has always had a fascination with those things too. Mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin, oh, yeah. Rolling Stones, Spinal Tap. Uh, polyphonic spree. David Bowie. David Bowie. There's always been an interest in that kind of stuff in music. Do you feel like that also informed why you were interested in it as well? Were those things that appealed to you as a kid? That's such an interesting question. I never thought about that. Maybe on a maybe on a subconscious level, you know, Black Sabbath. Even though now I look at Black Sabbath and I have to laugh because they're sort of a fake occult band, you know, even though I love them. Oh, and Led Zeppelin, I mean, it's The Hobbit. Like, Well, it's, I love that too. Yeah. Like, I love that it was like The Hobbit mixed with Crowley, you know, yeah. and I love that Jimmy Page was actually really into Crowley. Like, uh-huh. he, was commi- he was a committed occultist, you yeah. know, unlike, you know, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne. I, you know, I, I can't speak for Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. but, you right. know, just the sort of like uh, dualistic sort of like um, – uh, Judeo-Christian idea of Satanism versus like the occult path yeah. is a very different thing. And like not forgetting that like Alice Cooper loves to play golf. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like there's those kind of guys used it for a very specific purpose to kind of, you know, appeal to teenage boys. And yeah. And everybody's too. different. I mean, I can't, you know, who knows? I can't speak for anybody. I mean, most occultists I know never say they're occultists or have videos with symbology in it. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. they're more private about it, you know? Right. Anybody who was really you, – you'd like to think that anybody who was really into that lifestyle would not be advertising it you know, as like the front of their band or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean for me, my favorite kind of occultists and, and, and occult videos are the ones where I, I really believe it, you know, where, where the musician feels like they're, they're, 
they're embodying something that is authentic to who they are, mm-hmm. and you can feel it like on a deeper level. You know, you can feel that David Bowie was tapping into places that most people never touch. You know, and uh, and and it's it, it just feels different. Are know? there favorite images of yours, like favorite videos, favorite things like that that do come to mind? I do love Arthur Brown's. Um, Fire. Do you know that video? Mm-hmm. I, I doubt that ever played on MTV, but it feels like it should have, you know? And uh, so I, I love his video. I love, you know, I love Sun Ra's music and I love Space is the Place. That that film is full of so much occult imagery, hermetic and extraterrestrial, you know, stuff. I love all the Led Zeppelin stuff too because, uh-huh. you know, they're great. <laughs> and, um, and also, you know, someone I consider... Uh, a proto music video director. He was doing music video videos on his own, but way before anybody was getting paid was, you know, Kenneth Anger, you know, the man who inspired thousands of music video directors, thousands of bands and filmmakers. I feel like his, he's sort of like the great, you know, grandfather of music video. And it's interesting that the great grandfather who influenced so many, you know, filmmakers and people was an occultist and, uh, you know, in the 90s, you know, I was bar- I barely even really understood what that meant. I was um, very attracted to the imagery, but, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have my own practice at mm-hmm. that point. Like, I was very materialist as well. And so, yeah, so his stuff and... Um, if I could stop you for one mm-hmm. second. I'm interested, yeah. you mentioned Sun Ra, somebody who I love too. Yeah. I, grew, I lived in Philadelphia for a long time. It's like an important figure there. Um, do you feel like there was an influence from like, that kind of black spirituality onto like the occult stuff of the seventies that you became very interested in? Because I think about people like Eddie Gale, a lot of these free jazz guys, Mm -hmm. they kind of had these sort of like, they all wore robes on stage and there was like a cultish element, obviously Sun Ra orchestras like that as well too. That's an interesting question. Then there's Funkadelic, you know, George Mm -hmm. Clinton. Um, I feel like it was in the air back then. I mean, I feel like that was maybe an expression of alternative African-American spirituality that has a lot of Egypt in it because Egypt is sort of like, you know, the birthplace of the occult on this planet, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, apparently. And, uh, and so there was also, there was that revival with like, uh, you know, African-Americans reclaiming their ancient heritage through Egypt. So I think that had a lot to do with mm-hmm. it. You know, it was that period back in the 60s and 70s where a lot of artists and musicians were getting back to their roots. And part of getting back to one's roots involves a mystical concept of spirituality. I mean, this is what a lot of scholars, you know, that I've read um, write about, uh, you know, Robert Elwood or Timothy Miller, is that, um, you know, they consider that period, it was like a shifting of eras back then, mm. sort of shifting from modernism into postmodernism. It's very similar to where we're at right now, you mm. know, uh, with, with so much unrest, you know, social unrest, polarization, mm. this sort of culture war that's happening right now, this, this um, you know, uh, disparity between the, the rich and the poor. It's very 1967. It seems like one of the major differences between somebody in a band and somebody in a cult is the way that they, is the language that they use. Somebody might say my bandmate, but I noticed just even watching, you know, Source Family or something like that, you hear words like father and brother and sister, and it changes. I'm kind of wondering what you see as like the major differences between allegiances to things like bands or artists or groups and cult leaders. Mm. 
Well, bands usually aren't as psychic as cult leaders. Aren't as psychic? <laughs> They're not, they don't have the same psychic powers as like a really good cult leader. You know, although some do, David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix, Mick what? Oh, okay, okay. I think Mick is more like a. He was like an economic student. You know what I mean? He was like he needs. I think I feel like he was guided. Uh Uh, I don't. I don't. He's shamanic. He's shamanic for sure. But I don't know if I'd say he was clairvoyant. I don't know him personally Uh though, so it's hard to say. Yeah. Um. But uh. Oh, but I do want to say just to answer your earlier question. You know, I I started getting a little bit more jaded uh, by the music industry after you know working with um, the Universal World Church, and that was what led me to uh, start my first publishing company. Because I just decided that I would not be 30 year, years old and still be an ad person for the record industry. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And that, so that led me to do that. But I would say like bands versus cults. I mean, bands are certainly very culty, as we all know. And um, and the, you know, the Source Family's band, Yehoah 13, was very much like a lot of bands, you know, a lot of infighting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like Even when they got back together, um, you know, it's like a lot of creative minds together. But I think with uh, a lot of radical spiritual groups, you know, the emphasis is more on establishing a community. And so, you know, with groups back then, there were a lot of families that formed. You know, you had a lot of kids coming from parents who they didn't relate to. There was this huge generation gap. Or people who had broken parents, you know, broken fathers who had maybe been in World War II, totally ruined by the war, alcoholic, pill-popping mothers. A lot of the Source family kids came from families like that or from just like wealthy narcissistic parents who didn't know how to love them or even love themselves you know and so the source family was one of those groups that decided to reconstruct not only create a new religion but reconstruct the idea of family and what that means music videos are sort of a tool of the cult world it's been used that way before there are music videos that cults have made oh yeah i mean i mean there are a number of uh you know, alternative spiritual groups from that period who made their own films. And, uh, I mean, I haven't, there may, they, there may be, uh, like music videos that are specifically music videos for these groups that I'm not aware of. Usually, um, they're, they're, integrated into larger films, you know, or, you know, in the Source family's case, when they were in Hawaii, they did a number of live performances on public access television. Public access television is like, to me, the it's the ultimate like music video channel from like the 80s Definitely. and 90s, because you can see uh, people making music videos or films that have music soundtracks prominent that are, that are sometimes so imaginative and wild. And that's where Unarius was showing you know, all of their films back in the 80s and 90s. So with the Source family, I found combing through all of their film archive that they had a number of, they had a number of Super 8 films, first of all, of them performing live at local high schools, which was totally mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> like all of those producers, you know, like the, yeah. the principals back then were probably like all dropping acid and like gonna going say, to what? swingers parties, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, like what administrator okayed that? It's <laughs> 
<laughs> crazy. But, um, you know, they also had these videos that are really extraordinary of them performing in full, like, Egyptian costume on Hawaiian public access television. But they're really extraordinary, and they just have a power to them that, that I, you just don't find, you know, in most, most other videos. There's just, like, this essence that I think comes from being a group of musicians who were occultists first and musicians second. Like mm. their 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 music was a result of their practice. Like their practice was not a result of their music. Their mm. symbology was not a result of them having to make a music video. Their symbology was like deeply embedded in who they were. And what is that symbology? Like what what are the recurring themes? What are the things that you see a lot? Well, with the Source family, you know, they use the uh, the sign of Mercury a lot. They, Father Yoda is really, really into that symbol and the idea of love and wisdom as a teaching combined. The women had like onks. They had they had uh, custom symbols that they made just for the family. So Sunflower, who was the bass player in the band, actually custom made all of their jewelry. There were a number of symbols for them. Um, you know, with a group like Unarius, who first of all made a lot of their own instruments played a lot a lot of really incredible synthesizer music you know in their films um, their symbology uh, kind of goes back to occult symbology but it, it's it, it really involves more to do it's it's not so occulty it's more like space brother mm-hmm. type stuff so for them it's for them it's less symbols and more of like a palette mm-hmm. of like you know, like bright colors and sparkly metallics and things mm. like that, which make you feel like you're moving into some other dimension, mm. you know? And then there are, you know, other groups from the 60s and 70s that were just using the classic, you know, a lot of like hermetic Egyptian uh, Western magic symbols. It's interesting. I mean, for people who are occultists or who understand what those symbols are, it takes on a different uh, meaning, you know, but then there you also see people using it in music videos, you know, like, I mean, occultists are interested in, I can't speak for all occultists, but, you know, to my understanding of, of like Western occultism, for mm-hmm. example, is, is it's, it's one of, um, self-knowledge and transformation. Jody Willie, thank you so much for joining me on Videohead. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That was my chat with Jody Willie. Jody programs Occult LA, which you can find at the independent movie theater Cine Family in Los Angeles. Josh Madden is the older brother to Joel and Benji of the band Good Charlotte. His younger brothers might be the face of the band, but Josh has played a huge role in the band's creation in suburban Maryland, their success, and their longevity. As one of the heads of the band's wide range of projects, making music videos, merchandise, helping young bands break, Josh is an advocate for creative people and a positive force for the music industry. DC Punks will get the reference. Here's my extremely upbeat talk with Josh Madden. Josh Madden, thank you very much for joining me on Videohead. Yeah, thank you. Um, So you're still actively making videos with Good Charlotte. Can you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing now? Yeah, yeah. So in the last year... We've made a bunch of, we probably made, I want to say maybe 20, inside of 20 music videos, uh, Good Charlotte, a, a, a slew of them. We did a lyric video that was text messages. Like I'm texting you the lyrics of the video and it's like, it's uh, the, the camera shows the text popping up. And, and then we did the coloring book and we did another one that was, we got all the fans 
from the last 20 years to send in photos. And we got clearance and we we had a whole wall of photos. So it literally showed the band through the last like 20 years. And it was a really, all of these solves for the, the lyric video have been like wildly successful. I attribute it entirely to engagement. I, I hate using the word fan. I think people that just love it. Like if you and I, like if there was a new Oasis song that came out and all they put out was a lyric video and it was it was dope, you know, it, it like we'd watch it like we'd and, watch, you'd be like, you're like, oh shit, this is like an interesting solve, you know? And it's a way to spend eight grand on a music video instead of 80 grand in a yeah. lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think, by the way, I don't want to shade on anyone who's like does moving type. Like, I think that's awesome too, whatever. I just think that like, I've, I, I was, I was at a, a venue last night and they had posters from all the, these past shows. And I literally was going around taking pictures like, oh, shit, that's a great idea. Oh, shit, that's a great idea. Like, it's literally like anywhere anywhere you can find a good idea and like in, in, um, and sort of like involve it in what you're doing, you know, is, is awesome. This is sort of a wider discussion about music videos in general. But there is like a kind of a devaluing of that process where it's like, well, you know, MTV doesn't play music videos or whatever. You know, I honestly, people literally tweet that all the time. Yes. It's like... Well, okay, but how much have we devalued what a music video does for a band? If you keep saying they don't matter, then they don't matter. Dude, let me tell you this. I watched a music video yesterday, too, of this kid that is Canadian that I want to work with so bad because I was just like, whoa, if he's doing this on his own, holy shit. With like, some this is infrastructure. Crazy. Yeah, the songs yeah. are great. Like, mm. the songs are great. It sucks to say that, like, the songs are, are cool, but like, I'm just like, holy shit, because we all know that like, once you get into music and once you start working with people, in order to activate and work with a team of five, 10, 15 people to make a music video, that says a lot about your personality. You know, that says like, oh, you get on the phone and you start talking and you're like, how did you make this music video? And they're like, oh, my friend has a camera and then my other friend does this. If the first question is like, we borrowed 10 grand from my dad, you're like, uh... I'm going to be skeptical. Like when you see kids, see, and that's why like, you and I yeah. get along. Yeah. That's why you and I get along yeah. because I feel that way too. I don't hate, I'm not, by the way, I'm not hating on anyone that makes, has money and makes cool videos with money. Like you're just like, I I really, really overall, I really, really, really admire and appreciate ingenuity. And like yeah. people get into like, what's good, at, like cool, you know, like and it's fucking crazy. You know, I was at a meeting and I said to someone, is there ever a play a time where a song comes out and it just doesn't really catch heat and then the video like just, like a video's made and it like and by the way I know the fucking answer to this but I gave the person the right and they said no not really ever That's and I said bullshit. dude have you heard of 21 pilots because their whole fan base is built off videos I don't care what anyone thinks about 21 pilots or the music like when I when I finally met it when I came into contact with 21 pilots I was first of all late, which always impresses me. When something is blown up and I'm late on it, I'm like, whoa, I'm not angry at it. I used to be. As a hipster, fucking lame version of myself, I was always like, yeah, that's fucking whatever. Like 21 Pilots built a fan base and got with no radio, fully off music videos. And I think when you can mobilize with ingenuity, like we owe that a fucking huge thumbs up. We also owe young people who are not limiting themselves to like, oh, we can't do this or we can't. I have like, I can't. If I had a fucking dollar for every time I hear I can't, I, I, 
I'd fucking tattoo it on my forehead. Like people just say, I can't. And I'm like blown the fuck away. Like when I meet young bands and I'm like, wow, this is crazy what you've done. Cause all we really need to do here is facilitate, you know, and collaborate with good ideas. If that doesn't make you want to go out and make something, then I don't know what will. Josh Madden, thank you very much for joining me on Videohead. Yo, thanks for being here, man. (laughs) Thank you to my guests, Josh Madden and Jody Willey. I'm Daniel Ralston, at Daniel Ralston on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Videohead and give us a rating on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it helps a lot. You've been listening to Videohead on the MTV Podcast Network. This episode of Videohead was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.